Thank you once again for joining us here on the Internet Advisor. Foster Brown and the Posse in studio here. we got everybody on board with us, along with somebody who is in studio with us, who has been our guest before, uh, helping to answer some questions, I think, as a matter of fact, the last time he was around. Tom Lawrence, how are you doing, Tom? I'm doing great. Good to have you with us. Tom is the proprietor of Lawrence... Technol- technological Services. Am I got that right? Yeah. How can he use that name? It must be part of his name. Because <laughs> isn't there a Lawrence Tech uh, <laughs> University down the street? So I guess if it's your name, then hey, go for it. That's great. Yeah. <laughs> and they haven't said anything. I outrank them in the search engines, though. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> oh, do you? <laughs> I do. <clears throat> Pardon me. Um, you have been down in the south. You're down river now in the Taylor area, right? Uh, Southgate, specifically. Southgate, yes. specifically. Yep. How long have you been there for a while? Uh, well, we've been in that area for 14 years now. So we've wow. just moved to a new location, very close to our old location. We needed a bigger building and uh, built out a studio. And where exactly is that location, if you can tell us? Sure, it is uh, 14140 Pennsylvania Road in Southgate. It's uh, Pennsylvania and Fort Street, and people who are downriver know right where that is. It's pretty easy to find. Well, terrific. And so if they need your services, they can call on you and find your location. Yep. Or you can start with uh, LawrenceSystems.com, our website. Yep. Easiest way to get hold of us. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> now, what do you do when you're there? What kind of uh, services do you offer? Uh, we f- we're full service for both uh, retail and for uh, businesses. So uh, that's why a lot of people started a website so they can figure out whether they need help with their business uh, services, small business, large business, or if it's a retail service, fixing their computers. So we offer you know re- remote support, on-site support, and uh, network design and implementations. Now, are people able to come to you with their ailing computers, or do yep. you just strictly come to them? We have a retail area, and we have in-store service as well. I uh, have a help desk and text on staff to help people who want to walk in the yeah. door and say, help, all my files are gone, which is actually the most <laughs> common reason anymore people come in. Really? <laughs> no kidding. <laughs> Nobody backs anything up. I've, I've just kind of... Oh, <laughs> uh, Cal, there it is. Yeah. That's our big there's mantra o- here. There's only two types of people out there, those who need to back up and those who wish they backed up. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> so, so uh, you, and you do service all platforms, Mac, PC, Mac, PC the whole shoot, Mac, yep. Linux. And Linux, oh, yes. yeah. So bring in your Penguin if it's ailing, and uh, you'll take care of that too. <laughs> yeah, actually, it's kind of interesting. We're getting a little bit more known for the Linux thing, so people trying it are uh, bringing them to us when they need help. And because they said no one else even knows what they're talking about besides us. And sometimes that's how they discover us because we have a YouTube channel where we uh, discuss yes. a lot of that. Yes. So. Do you guys also take care of what I call side tech, uh, Xbox games, uh, uh, you know, my my, my nest thermostats not working yeah things things that are technology but not necessarily a computer you know for years we did that we actually used to do tv repair and everything uh or or in my earlier days and we kind of faded away from doing a lot of the tv repair because uh well the parts got so cheap like the and it it became so expensive to go buy another tv uh and some of the devices don't lend themselves to be very serviceable so we're limited we do some board level work but it's more limited now um yeah Mm -hmm. it's unfortunate but the way the the way the market went they just become replaced now not repair. <laughs> yes. Isn't that the case? True. Yeah. Yeah. Although I've seen recently, just as kind of a side shot, um, the uh, you break, we fixers. I fix it. Yes. That's a chain of stores that are out there. We had them on recently. Yeah. Yeah. Where they do the uh, screen repairs for phones. That's uh, yep. If you specialize in that market and focus on it, um, we actually have a friend we refer down the street from us that we refer for things like that. Yeah. And yeah. I'm seeing more of those kind of places popping mm-hmm. up because these phones are costing you know, a thousand dollars, six hundred to a thousand dollars. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, it's chicken fee. Gary buys them every day. <laughs> oh, spoken like a true Apple <laughs> insider. You, you know, 
just uh, just for the fun of it, uh, the other day I got a chance to uh, like hold an iPhone 10. So I took a picture of it and just put it out on the net, you know, yeah, I, yeah. like on Facebook. And then people say, "Oh, you got a 10?" No, I'm just holding one with a picture. That's all. I didn't get. I didn't win the lottery. Oh man! You don't want to break that one. If you break the back glass, it's five hundred something dollars to fix. Ouch! Half you know, the cost of the phone. My thought has always <laughs> been: if you're going to be buying that phone, you should be able to afford that phone. So yes. if you break it, you should be able to afford to fix it, or afford or to, have Apple Care, or afford the insurance to yes. fix it, yeah. and that sort of thing. Otherwise, you probably should stay out of that realm. That's, <laughs> That's the reason true. why you don't see me driving my Rolls Royce to work. <laughs> <laughs> that Bentley doesn't look too bad, though. No, 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 not at all. But if I break the Bentley, I can't afford to fix the Bentley. Now, you also, you mentioned Linux. That's kind of an area that you've specialized yes, in. Yes, absolutely. Matter of fact, isn't one of your podcasts about that? Yes, uh, the podcast that I co-host with me and a few friends, and it's uh, something else that happens at the studio there, is the Sunday Morning Linux Review. And we... Uh, do all kinds of deep dives and very deep technical talks about Linux and open source and everything related to it. We do interviews with people, uh, which was what led us to Microsoft. They flew us out uh, to their three big events, uh, Build, Ignite, and Connect. And we yeah. visited and got to talk with the top people at the Microsoft data centers and Azure. Got to meet Jeffrey Snover and John Gossman. And wow. it was a lot of fun. Is, yeah. is Linux getting to be a little more mainstream and not so much the guy down the street who hangs out in his basement a lot? Well, we're seeing a convergence of the back end has always been Linux on the Internet. Linux is what's That's driving true. the Internet. That's true. And Microsoft's finally really getting involved in it and they're embracing it. They're going, well, we're coming to see mainstream. Uh, As more things become web applications, mm -hmm. they're not being built on top of Microsoft. They're being built on top of Linux servers. So now even Microsoft's Azure Data Center, their hosting service, is 40% Linux right now. Wow. wow. Ed, you've been our Linux person here. We don't we haven't talked about it much. I don't I don't play with it much. I mean, I, I just did it to so that I could uh, experiment with it and yeah. put on various flavors of uh, Ubuntu or Linux Mint, the simple stuff, so that when we had some listeners that called in that had really old computers that were dead and what can they do with it, I just want to install Windows back on there, that you could just download a free version of Linux Mint or uh, Ubuntu and install it very easily and, and give an old computer new life. Basically, and don't have to worry about too much about any virus at all. Yeah, no, it's a very solid platform, and we we joke now we're about the two percent. We came up to the two percent mark on this. So. Yeah, two percent. Oh wow. <laughs> yeah, market share for Linux on the desktop. Yeah. <laughs> that, you know, it's funny. Uh, Gary has often said with uh, uh, Apple products, you know that. They really weren't going to be facing a lot of the malware and hacker attacks until they began to gather a bigger portion of the uh, user base, and that's beginning to happen yes. now. Yeah, and when when Mac was a very very small, uh, you know, small footprint on the net, yep. there's not a lot of people attacking because if you got all the Macs, you didn't get that many people. Yeah, right. <laughs> so. Exactly. Exactly. You know, whereas a bot could go after Microsoft and, right. and hit, a, hit a whole lot of people. So, so uh, I was going to ask, so Microsoft invited you out there because of your podcast on the Linux network? Yes. Or because of the, some of the guests you possibly interviewed, they realized that you guys really knew what the hell you were talking about. You're really popular. <laughs> we should invite them out here, right? Yes. Is it sort of like that? A, a combination of that. So what they did was they uh, they reached out to us and said, we'd like to have you come out there. And uh, that became like, are you serious? We thought it was a joke. Yeah. We, we actually thought someone was trying to scam us. <laughs> no so kidding. we ignored the first email. 
And they said, we're serious. And we said, <laughs> I, I don't believe you. We, I mean, we just had the most simple replies. Like, I don't believe you. And they said, they called and we're like, oh, wow. They reached out and talked to us and said, no, no, we want to fly all of you guys out there to our uh, Microsoft Build Conference. And we're going to set up a podcast no booth and we want you to interview all these people. We're like, well, if you're buying, we're flying. So. Oh <laughs> did they like send that. you the ticket, or did they say they'd reimburse you? Well, that was my that was my hang up. I said I, I don't. I still think it's. I was I was really skeptical here. Of course. And uh, we I, and I also made a joke when they talked to us. I'm like, you've listened to our podcast. You you maybe have heard we made fun of you, right? <laughs> you <know? laughs> oh, I am sure that happened. Oh, that's got to so, be yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we went back and forth having a lot of fun with them, and uh, but they actually did. They they got the tickets, logistics, uh, hotel room, everything taken care of. And uh, wow, yeah. So they uh, brought us all out there. We did the interviews. It went really well. They then subsequently uh, invited us out to the Ignite conference in Florida. So we spent a week in Florida hanging out with Microsoft. Oh, Gary, and, uh, we should have had him, uh, you know, say hello to you down there on the yeah. boat. Maybe take a little tour. Yeah, we were down in Orlando, so we didn't quite get to the water. Ah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's close. It's only an hour and a half drive. Yeah, and then two weeks ago we were at uh, the three and a half. <laughs> three and a half. Yeah, uh, we were at the Microsoft Connect event, which is their uh, final big uh, developer event of the year. And we did the Microsoft Connect and once again did some more interviews and had some fun. Oh, wow. That's interesting. So for the sake of our audience, most of whom don't really probably know what Linux is, can you just kind of give us a nutshell about, you know, what is Linux and what's the value of it? Uh, Linux is an open source operating system, as in the code is not owned by any one person, although it's uh, packaged. If you will, it's, yeah, it's packaged uh, together, and it's kind of a it's a little bit different concept than Windows. So you used to like Microsoft owns Windows, and you run it on your system as an operating system, and it's it's the underlying thing behind everything. Uh, with Linux, it's the same, but because no one owns it, you can just download the code for free, which means there's lots of different versions of it. People go, I want to make my own version. You can. You can yeah. take the code, you can manipulate it, and do your own thing. So it's very, wow. very customizable, and it's a different philosophy to develop things, so to speak, uh, for the greater good. And that's kind of what people do. They contribute the code back with nothing more than a thank you mm-hmm. is in, a, in return. So and this, I would imagine from what you're saying, it sounds like this would be the kind of thing that could be customizable uh, for industries oh. and for very, very narrow applications, you could yes, and that's, it. and that's a lot of why it runs the web is because it was so flexible uh. as a platform. And what people realized when they started contributing code, I mean, people said, well, where's the money made? You know, if you stop and look at a business standpoint, well, the money's made by people contributing code, another person, another company contributes code, but then the two of these people t- together develop the platform and then continually use the software to deliver the service. So the service they deliver is where you make money. Let's say I have a website and I sell something on a website. That's my m- money model. But the... Other side of it is the with Linux is we all develop on the platform at the same time because the platform benefits everybody. How many people, let's say locally, do you find involved in Linux? Quite a few. Quite there's a, a few clubs and hangouts. Really? Yeah, there's. A, I just actually spoke at the uh, BSD Users Group, which is uh, held over at Altair, which is another offshoot of another open source thing. They oh, do. Yeah, yeah. I did. A, I was the presenter for there. Uh, then you've got like the Washtenaw Linux Users Group, which is in obviously Washtenaw, and uh, then it's kind of interwoven in the uh, MISEC community, which is the Michigan security community, and because Linux is a popular security oh, tool. I see. I would, I would think that True. That is interesting. Very interesting. Uh, by the way, our guest you've been uh, listening to here is uh, Tom Lawrence, who is a proprietor at Lawrence Technological Services. And we're talking about his um, 
a unique kind of a niche that you've developed for yes. yourself and carved out with uh, with Linux. I find it fascinating that it, it sounds so much like Mac in the old days, or Apple, if you will, when the user base was fairly small and there were, you know, as you said, clubs of people out there. Yep. Mm-hmm. Well, it, 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 at that time, when it, it, it becomes, some people say cult, but I hate that word. Uh, but it's more of a community. Yeah. And it's people who are like, you know, uh, like the Mac Group slogan used to be... Uh, People helping other people to develop and use their Mac to their full potential. Yeah. So it's, it's the same thing with Linux. You know, they, they, they've got a tool, and they're just making it better and better for, the, for everybody else to be able to use, and right? And fundamentally, it's insane when you think about it. I mean, it runs the Internet. It runs Google. Google is all Linux, the entire back-end database servers, everything that's back there. Microsoft, even what they host, is 40% Linux, and Microsoft runs on top of Linux, their whole data center itself. Fascinating. Yeah, so I, you'd think that more people would be involved in it, but... Uh, people like yourself yeah. and Ed, you know, people who are more technologically savvy are the ones who are involved in that. Listen, when we come back, Tom, I want to ask you a little bit about what sense you have of where Microsoft is headed. And we'll do that as we continue with the Internet Advisor. Welcome back. It's the Internet Advisor, Foster Brown, and our posse here along with Tom Lawrence. The uh, boss at Lawrence Technological Services in uh, Downriver and here in the Detroit area. We were talking about Linux. Gary, I'm, I'm curious. You, uh, when you started out in this business, were and involved in developing an ISP. Were you dealing with Linux back then as well, it, part of that background? It in, yeah, it's interesting because, you know, we use Berkeley Unix. Uh, and it, we used that because it was free, basically. Uh in most of the big data centers were using some form of Unix. Linux came out, which was so Unix-like that people just gravitated toward it. I thought it exploded onto the scene for data center use. And it's only been recently, Tom, that I think it's hit the mainstream now or more of the mainstream for end-user use. Is, is that what you're seeing? Yeah, we're seeing an increase in it because of things like Chromebooks. And Chromebooks, although they're prettied up and we call them the Google book, the Chromebook, they run on Linux. And of course, the phones that we're sitting here, they have Linux kernels on them as well. So it's hitting the mainstream, but but no one's going to call it Linux. They're going to call it the Android phone and the Google Chromebook. And so Uh. that little underlying thing, Macs have always been uh, based actually more heavily on the BSD flavor uh, is the the kernel that runs in behind on the Mac. So So you see, Gary, you've been a Mac user for a long time. (laughs) So we use a similar chipset. That's all. Yeah. <laughs> uh, kind of a closet, Mac. You didn't want to admit it, but we inside, very we, deep inside. You finally <laughs> revealed your true side, Tom. Uh, one of the things that I kind of uh, set the program up with, and and uh, and hope that you can comment on is what direction do you see Microsoft heading in? Because this is a very different company in many ways than the house that Bill built. Very different. And uh, one of my favorite interviews that we got to do at Ignite was with how open source even came in there and the dynamic that changed that went from Steve Ballmer saying Linux is a cancer to signing off on a change that fundamentally at the at the base level changed the company of being more open, actually giving code away and things like that. So that's a lot of why we uh, came to kind of ah. investigate that with Microsoft. But the company I still feel is divided in two of you have the Azure, which they realize is the future hosting services and things like that. And then you have the Office apps and you have the Microsoft Windows, which of course they've kind of 
for the first time ever, Microsoft admit they might have made a mistake by forcing everyone on Windows 10. <laughs> no. <laughs> might have made a mistake. <laughs> Yikes. <laughs> but they are uh, quickly, they're understanding that we're kind of seeing the sunset of uh, desktop operating systems as we know them. So they're embracing things like uh, the OWP, the uh, web apps, the progressive web apps. And what those are is like you see the Windows 10 store and the app actually loads directly from the internet onto your computer, but not installed as a program. It's an interactive where it uses online, but it has offline features. So from a code standpoint, it actually, they can actually bundle web applications, but it looks like a desktop application that's installed. And that's a lot of what's coming. Is this, back up for a second, because I'm getting a little confused. Uh, There's Office 365 where you can actually put, and I have them, on my my Mac, um, a version of Office, uh, yeah. Microsoft Office, but then there's also uh, a cloud-based yes. application. So that's what you're talking about. They, those well, cloud-based. Oh. Yes, in a way, um, the Office 365 one is one that runs within the browser, so they have their online version. But then some applications are actually creating these progressive web apps. And the concept of really of a progressive web app is uh, code runs right everywhere. So they're going to be able to run it on your desktop in Windows 10, on your phone, and then again on your Mac because it's cross-platform. So Microsoft's embracing some of that. So Windows 10, uh, as a direction, they're saying, hey, we want to be able to embrace all those. So you'll still be able to use your legacy desktop app. You'll still be able to load the tools you want to load, some type of design Mm -hmm. tool. Or at the same time, seamlessly, you can run a web application that still gets a little toolbar at the top and doesn't feel like it's in a browser, but technically the mechanicals behind it is actually a website. Right. And and, and this is another example of this is all on the backbones of our internet service providers. So we're before the... you would install everything on your computer. Right. Now we're going to all be using more and more bandwidth from our internet service providers. And, mm. and, and then what, and so that this also brings in net neutrality and what That's our internet service providers can do for that last mile, right? Yeah. Possibly yeah. possible throttling, but not because, you know, how many users are actually going to put up with that. So, That's interesting. Or, so, so what, what, where, I'm, where I'm thinking about this is yeah. like treating internet service providers as, you know, utilities, just Mm. like electricity and, Mm -hmm. you know, everyone has internet access. Which is the opposite of where it's headed right now with Ajit Pai, who is in charge of the FCC. Very much so. (laughs) Which is exactly the direction it should be. The the internet itself should be a utility. And then all these other companies are hanging off of it or some of the ISPs are off uh, on it that are providing... Cable TV or or Vonage or whatever it is, essentially, right? yeah. programming or other services other than the internet, you know those things should be separate from the actual net itself. The net itself should just be hmm. something you hook into and you use it to to do the things you need to do. Right, it's like breathing air and paying for electricity and paying for internet. Yeah, and, yeah. it's yeah. like it's like like the gas company. You, you, you know, don't I, care who you get it from. I don't think I'd ever thought of this issue. Of um, the web-based applications being in this mix of um, drawing more bandwidth, bandwidth, right? right? Yes, because streaming is already doing that. Yeah, yes. well, and it's really Tremendous started. Amounts. It's almost going back to the early '90s, where you had um, uh, client-based applications, where all the applications actually resided on your Novell servers and yes. your uh. other servers, and then you just. Uh, ran them because you have a client on your on your PC or your terminal. Well, this it's, called the thin client. Is that what I'm? 
Well, no, it goes back Similar, even further. Yeah. But yeah. Well, if you go back yeah. even further, now you think now you're more like talking about a dumb terminal, yeah. and then the mainframe itself is doing all the processing power, and the terminal is just delivering you the results and taking in the inquiries. And that's where this uh, is a hybrid approach with yeah. the, with the web apps because they work offline as well. So if you unplug the app and provided it doesn't have some need to do something on the yeah, internet, yeah, let's yeah. say it's a we'll say it's a fancy calculator app, it doesn't have a need for the internet. It will work offline because yes. what it's doing is it's built on web technologies. You know, uh, some of your programming languages like Node.js and different Java libraries, and it runs in an offline mode. Now, the other advantage is because that's a modular programming language, they only, when there's an update, only have to transmit the update to you for the web app. Yeah, which is wonderful. Which is wonderful. You're not downloading the whole program again. Oh, I right, see. So patches can be delivered that way, too. Yes. So in the old days, what we would have to do, for instance, if you have Microsoft Office, is you'd have to get Microsoft Office 2009 right. or... 11 or whatever it was, the next whole batch of that. So Microsoft is now shifting away from that. Well, Subscription-based. Yeah. There's not as much as they're shifting, yeah. they're adding to. Yeah. So they're allowing more of these features to be easily integrated because they want to give more tools to the programmers, more options. Because uh, as I see it from, because I work in a lot in the business world as well, nobody wants to have to load a bunch of applications because when a laptop dies, a desktop dies, you got all these things I got to set yeah, up for the person again. Yeah, yeah, when yeah. it's a web portal, they log in. It doesn't matter. Throw the computer away. Get another one. Log yep. in. Here's your toaster. <laughs> Plug it in and it works. You yeah. know, that for me has been the experience with Google Chrome. Yes. yes. And I does Safari do the same thing? I don't use Safari that much. Not where you can the same Chrome thing does. in what sense? I, in the sense that, for instance, you get a brand new device. It could be a computer. It could be a phone. That when you log in with your uh, email address and and password, that it automatically populates your favorites, and you know it knows who you are. And if because with Chrome, you if, certainly if get you're that. running continuity on your Mac, uh, uh, it will do that on all your iOS devices as well. Okay. So yeah, okay. you it, it will. It will have all your favorites and all those things. Basically, duplicate your desktop, for lack of a better way to describe it, on multiple devices. Now, Gary's been doing this for several years, ever since he had his first Microsoft Surface. And, Gary, your experience has been wonderful. It has. Yeah, I've, um, I've, I've enjoyed uh, it. It's a little bit freer way and less cumbersome way to enjoy personal computing. Yeah, Microsoft started that it level of integration with Windows 10, and it, you could kind of do it in 8. didn't work right at all. <laughs> oh, God. What did work well? Nothing. Pardon me. <laughs> uh, but Windows 10 does create a seamless experience because when you sign on your Microsoft account, it can bring your settings and your uh, universal web applications and that can just follow over with you. Because it's downloaded off the web, anything in the store will just follow with you upon your login. Our guest, by the way, is uh, Tom Lawrence, who is uh, the proprietor at the Lawrence Technological Services. Downriver in the Taylor area, and uh, he's going to be with us next week as well. Do you uh, see Microsoft coming out with a phone now that they actually have uh, apps in their store? No. Okay. No, they're not going. They they have abandoned all hope on phones. Uh, but they were paying so much for Nokia. Yes. They tried. It, it just didn't work out for them. It was one of the last things that they kind of probably stuck on Balmer because it was not really <laughs> <laughs> like he bought it. <laughs> oh, as you're going out the door, take this with you. Yeah, we'll blame and you. Stephen, was it Sanofsky who was also involved in that? Am I right? Uh, yes, and they got rid of Sanofsky too. So. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, they, wow. they, it, they, they didn't belong in the market. I mean, no. they came up with an operating system that would talk to the phone the same way you talk to the PC, and that idea and concept was correct yes. and good. Yes. The problem is, is that 
Number one, they don't manufacture their phones. Number two, they didn't bring anything to the market that was compelling. Something that made you want to say, I got to have that. Well, now, I want that. my wife used the, the, the Windows phone for, for a number of years and loved it. And while uh, she was using that phone, what phone did you use? I kept on using my iPhone, which I had. You know. Okay, that answers it. Right. I, yeah, yeah. Was but I mean, that was because yeah. that was the channel that I was in, and I didn't want to jump into another one. But, with, but I, if I, it would have had something in it. That yeah. would have made you say, oh, my God, I have to have a Windows yeah. phone. You'd be all over that. We tried to do it with the cameras. And they, the they didn't make it work with their cameras. But to me, what the criminal thing was to take Nokia, which was this incredible yeah. uh, company, and and just destroy it, <laughs> gutted it. You know, it's like taking a bonfire and piling $100 bills on it. But, Big yeah. pile of them and burning but, them. But you know, you could Nokia could do the same thing that Palm did. You know, so Palm was making a wonderful handheld Absolutely. for a long time. They got sold to somebody else. They didn't do well with it, and the people from Palm bought them back and made it good again. And, and Nokia really wasn't. They were riding on legacy, so they didn't yeah. have the new innovative products. You have yes. HTC, Samsung, yeah. uh, being your big guys in the market right now. So, uh, what would have what would they have done if not Microsoft didn't buy them? Tom, I, I'm, as I said, we're going to have you back with us uh, this coming week as well to help me uh, uh, because Ed's going to be going to a graduation ceremony for uh, his son. But in so I'm looking forward to that. Let's quickly give people uh, a way of getting connected to you. Uh, everything starts at my website. I try to keep everything on there, which is www.lawrencesystems.com with an S at the end. And that's where you can find all things about me, links, and YouTube, and all the fun stuff we do. Great. Now, we're going to take a break in just a moment uh, for Mr. Mike Brennan and MI Tech News. If you could, hang around for the second hour, and uh, we may continue this conversation in a couple of different ways. Gary Baker, Foster Brown, Cal Carson, and Ed Rudell here in studio. And as I said, we're going to take a quick pause. When we come back on the other side, Mr. Mike Brennan will be with us, and we'll 